All right. Good morning. Well, thank you, Refuge. Thank you to Josh for inviting me. Um, I have preached here before, so I guess I didn't do too bad of a job, or he was just really desperate to get out of town. Um, but either way, grateful to be here. Um, I am transitioning into my second year of my residency at the well, and so a lot of my responsibilities that I had serving at the well are now getting passed off to other people, and so I actually haven't got to preach in a few months, and so I was really excited to be invited here. Um, we just had our first interest meeting last month and have our second interest meeting um, coming up here in a few weeks, and we're going to be planting in northeast Austin, and so think like LBJ High School, Decker Lane, just a little bit west of Maynard, and Josh has been really helpful and instrumental in just encouraging me, encouraging me um, into what the Lord has. We're actually going to be planting um, a church with bilingual elements, and so there's going to be a lot of Spanish um, being spoken and reaching the Hispanic community. And so, um, yeah, grateful for Josh, for his friendship, and for you guys, for you being here. And I'm excited to jump into the series that you guys have been in this week, excited to teach on worship. Like I said, we had our interest meeting uh, last month, and I got to share our mission uh, of the church, got to share some of the values, and one of our values that we have is worship. And so part of what we're going to have be a huge part of our church is bilingual worship. And so I was really excited to be able to talk about worship today. Um, and so let's get into it. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 43, and then we'll jump to 46 and 47. Um, I do not have a CSB Bible, but I do have a CSB scripture journal through the book of Acts because I started studying it recently, and so uh, it worked out. So uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 43, and then we'll jump to 46 and 47. It says this, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Jump to 40, uh, 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, I think we'll, we'll dive into the text here in a minute, but before we do, I want to set a little bit of kind of the foundation of, of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I think all of us at one point or another have asked ourselves or pondered or thought the question, what is the purpose of life? Like, specifically, what is the purpose of my life? Like, why am I here? And individually, we all have different, what we would say in the Christian world, kind of callings or roles and tasks. And so we all have different purposes in life, even within similar callings, such as Josh being a church planner, me being a church planner. Although there's similarity between those callings, there's also a lot of differences because we as people are different. We are diverse. We have different personalities, different giftings. Uh, we have experienced different things in life. And so because we are different, Different, our callings, although they may be similar, will be a little bit different. For example, um, how many of you in here, you can raise your hand, how many of you are introverts? Okay, quite a few. There's probably a little bit more, but you're so introverted, you didn't want to raise your hand. That's cool. How many of you are extroverts? All right, they got the two hands going. All right. Um, what else? What else? Um, how many of you are planners? Like detail, detail, family vacations, 
everything like that. You got what we're doing, where we're eating, all this kind of stuff. Okay, planners. How many of you are more spontaneous, more like, I didn't even know if I was going to raise my hand when you said this. That's how spontaneous I am. I wasn't even sure. And so we're all just even based off of those two questions. Like, we're all so different. And we can go throughout. We can ask all kinds of different questions. We all have different personalities. All of that. We're all wired. And so we're all unique and diverse and different in terms of our unique individual purpose in life. But although we all were created differently for different callings, different roles, different tasks— we actually all have the same general purpose for being created by God, and that is to bring him glory. So whether you are a church planner, whether you are run a business, whether you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever you do, our purpose for being created was to bring God glory. And we see this in a few verses. We don't have these up here, but I'm going to read them to you. Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7, God speaking, he says this, Bring my sons from far away, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. His, those who were created in his name, who bear his name, were created for his glory. Paul goes on in Romans 10, 31, and he says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so we have all been created for the glory of God, to draw attention to the beauty of Christ. Not that he needs us. Acts 17 says that he is not created by human hands. He does not need to be served by human hands. And so we do not beautify Christ by glorifying him. We just draw attention to his glory, to his greatness, to his beauty, to his worth. And so in at the well, we are in a series right now on Titus. And in the book of Titus, uh, Paul encourages Titus um, by saying, basically, to allow his good works, his worship, his lifestyle, his obedience, to adorn the gospel. And so he's saying, allow your life, your worship, to draw attention, to adorn the gospel. Sim let me give you an analogy here. Um, my wife, who is not here, she was at women's retreat. She loves watching, like, makeup tutorials and videos all the time. She'll be doing dishes and all that kind of stuff, and she'll just have, and to me, it just doesn't make any sense at all, Ida, but it's, it's a thing, apparently, and so she, I, I, I know this about makeup. I don't know a lot. She knows a lot more than me, but I know this. She has beautiful hazel eyes, and what she will put on and what women put on, and I mean, maybe dudes at times, if you're into like certain music or rock kind of music, I don't know. Um, you, the mascara, you put mascara around the eye, not to change the eye or to make the eye any more beautiful, but you put mascara around the eye so that the beauty of the eye is more recognizable and pops more. And so the mascara draws attention to the eyes and makes it more recognizable, doesn't change the eye, doesn't, doesn't change the color, doesn't make it any more beautiful. And so is our work, so is our worship, so is our singing and our praising to God. It does not make God any more beautiful and glorious than he already is, but it draws attention so that others would see his beauty as well. And so as we think about glorifying God and this being our purpose, we think about the greatness, the beauty, and the worth of him, I want us to realize that that is what we were created for, to bring glory, to bring worship to him. But not just us, all of creation was created for the glory of God. I want to read to you five verses, and as I do, um, I just want you to picture what I'm reading, okay? 
Psalm 19:1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Psalm 96:12. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Like what do you picture when you picture fields celebrating? Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. Psalm 98:8. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy. Psalm 65, 13. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys covered with grain. They shout in triumph. Indeed, they sing. Isaiah 44, 23, our last one. Rejoice, heavens, for the Lord has acted. Shout, depths of the earth. Break into singing mountains, forests, and every tree in it. Now, when I read those verses, like when I read about a river clapping its hands, I picture a river and I picture two arms of water getting together and clapping is what I picture. I picture mouths like popping up on trees and on rocks and singing out the praises of God, which obviously that doesn't actually happen, but it's given to us to, to show us that all of creation declares and worships our creator. And so if he gets that much worship from trees and rocks and rivers, how much more does he get? How much more glory does he get when you and I, who were created in his image, worship him? And so we were created for worship. There's a um, secular journalist named David Robert Foster. Um, he's passed away now, but he wrote a few popular books, was a journalist, um, not a Christ follower, but he actually said this about the idea that we were created to worship. It's a little bit long, but um, hopefully you can stay with me. So he said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. He's not a Christian. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess of the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles, it is pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will ever more, uh, excuse me, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. Now, as believers, we do believe that those are sinful and those are evil. Whenever we put anything in the place of God, whether it be explicitly sinful in scripture or whether it be a good gift that sometimes we can put in the place and worship over God. And I am reminded of my sinful heart and how I can do that easily, even just yesterday. I have two sons. Uh, I have one daughter, but my two sons, they play soccer, five-year-old and a 10-year-old. And my 10-year-old goes, they play, and what should have been a game that they won, they lost. On paper, they should have won. It shouldn't even have been close, but they lost. 
And me being the immature 32-year-old that I am, I was so upset that they lost. Like, I even in the parent group chat, I was like, y'all need to pray for me because I'm taking this way too hard. My son didn't play well. The team lost. And my heart and my affections were just being so, like, I was so upset. I was, so, I was more upset than a grown man should be at a 10-year-old soccer game. And then this morning, I wake up, and I'm worshiping. My family's gone. I'm, I'm just getting ready. And uh, a dad posts the video from the game. He posts the recording that he took of the game, and of course, I start watching it, and I'm watching it. I'm like, that should have been a penalty, and I'm rehashing, and all of a sudden, I'm getting upset. I turn it off, and I just throw my phone, and my emotions and my worship, my affections were going to this good gift towards my children, towards my children enjoying sports, and for me, that's a Sabbath, like a perfect day off for me and this may be weird, is a crisp morning going and watching my boys play soccer, going out to lunch afterwards, and just spending time with my family. And although that is a good gift that can be enjoyed by us, given to us from God, I begin to put in the place of God as receiving my joy and my gladness from. And so we can spend a lot of time talking about these different things, about how uh, we shouldn't worship money or wor worship power or possessions or all of these things. But what I want us to do as we dive back into Acts chapter 2 is I want us to look at what it looks like to worship God. What does it look like to be satisfied in Him? What it looks like for the believer and the effects that it has on us as worshiping Him. But as we get back into Acts chapter 2, I want us to focus, as we think about worship, I want us to think of two different veins, okay? One vein, which is the most common, is the singing, the worshiping, the, the verbal proclamation and praising of God we think of worship. So we can tend to only think of worship as what we just did 10 minutes ago. But the other vein that I want us to think through is worship as a lifestyle, giving our lives to Christ as worship, giving our lives for the glory of God. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1 says this. Paul's writing, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. And so I want us to think within these two veins as we get into our text. One, a life of worship, living our life to glorify God. And then we will talk about the actual verbal proclamation, singing the praises of God. Okay? So let's uh, reread, actually, Acts chapter 2. It's just a few verses. I want to highlight a few verses here. In verse, or a few words. In verse 43, he says this. Everyone was filled with awe. They were filled with admiration of God. And many signs and wonders were being performed there through the apostles. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord was adding to their numbers those who were being saved. And so think about some of those words there, awe, admiration of God, joyful, exaltation, praising, singing to honor. And so they were admiring God. They were singing these praises to him. And what was leading to that? What was leading to that worship? What were they doing in their lives that led to this worship? All of life can be worship, um, it, but we're going to focus on specifically what's in here. But just think about the past few weeks of this series. They were fellowshipping. That is worship. They were in the Word. 
that is worship. And what were they doing here? It's in verse 46. They were meeting together. Living a life of worship means that we meet together with other believers. Gathering together weekly is a weekly expression of a heavenly gathering when we are all gathered in heaven together. There is power in our gathering together. Josh was up here talking about just the importance of us being together earlier. He was tearing up just thinking about the power and, and the love and just this, what happens supernaturally when we gather together and worship. Like what we're doing right now is actually banned in other countries. The enemy would want nothing more than to stop you from meeting together regularly. Josh shared with me like three or four texts that he got earlier of people who couldn't make it because of being sick or something, something or, or, or another. But the, it is important to meet together because as we meet together, we are a physical, tangible representation of the kingdom of God. Meeting together, we are a, visible, a visible, tangible representation of the kingdom of God. As we gather together to worship and to make him known, we are not gathering as a club, meeting in an elementary school cafeteria, but we are gathering as the kingdom of God to make much of Jesus, to worship our creator. And this is why gathering is so important. And now I know y'all are here, so I'm preaching to the choir about the importance of meeting together. Okay, I get that. Um, I would always get mad when a pastor would be like, y'all need to be in church. I'm like, I am at church. Like, it's the people who ain't here. So I get it. You are here, okay? But you can tell this to somebody else. But being in ministry now for full-time for over 10 years, I hear all the time people say, I am the church. And so they say that to kind of um, minimize the importance of gathering together, which I agree, you are the church. Like when tomorrow, Monday, when you guys are all in your own places, you still are the church. Absolutely. I, I understand that. Just like my son doesn't have a soccer game today, yet he's still on the team and he, they are still a team. But over time, if my son stopped going to practice, stopped going to the game, eventually they would be like, are you on this team or not? And so meeting together is important, but not just meeting together, but meeting together with the right heart posture of what we're doing matters and what we're doing is important. If you're like me, I've been in church for a long time now, and I can show up on a Sunday and it can be very... My heart can be, I can think lightly of the gathering. Just even like a week or two ago, I showed up, I was serving, I was, we, I was part of the setup, setting everything up, all that kind of stuff. I remember sitting in the second gathering thinking, what am I doing? Like, like my mind, my attention, my heart posture did not take serious what the meeting together of what we were doing. And so as we meet together as a visible, as a visible physical representation of the kingdom of God, like they were doing, it serves two functions. One of those functions is an evangelistic function. And so outsiders are able to see us meeting together, those outside of the faith, and should be able to come in and hear the gospel. And so their worship and their meeting together created an opportunity for witness. Notice at the end of verse 47, they were being added to the number daily. The Lord was saving people daily. In 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, 
he talks about, hey, don't be getting crazy with the spiritual gifts because you're going to have non-believers coming in. And he says that the secrets of their heart, the non-believer's heart, will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God. Refuge serves as a visible, physical representation of the kingdom of God not just here in this meeting space, but as you meet, as all of these announcements came of going and doing things in the community, you are a visible, physical representation of the kingdom of God as believers gather together. And they knew this in Acts, and so they were gathering together, and this was worship. And so by glorifying God, they were growing numerically the kingdom of God, but they were also growing one another spiritually. They were building up one another. Um, they, there was an, so there was an evangelistic function, and there was an inward building function. Hebrews 10.24, we are encouraged to not forsake meeting together. And so as we meet together, we are building one another up, the Bible says. We are encouraging one another. We are glorifying God because you seeing me, I seeing you as image bearers of God. We are seeing, if you will, God or glimpses of Christ and it should lead us to worship. Not only that, but without meeting together, there's a lot of scripture, a lot of obedience that I lack when I'm not around you. In the New Testament, there are over 50 one another commands. Around 50. So he says, he says, care for one another, bear with one another, honor one another, sing to one another, do good to one another, forgive one another, love one another. How, is, how am I able to glorify God in doing that if I am neglecting meeting together, if we are neglecting meeting together? And so as we meet together, we are building one another up to be able to be obedient to Scripture, but then also through worship as other acts, other acts of service. Like the chairs you're sitting in, somebody set them up. The screen, somebody ran the cords and did all this. Like the kids, somebody's doing that. And as we are meeting together, as we are living, doing these acts of service of worship, we are helping others to glorify Christ. And so specifically, the part of what they were doing, how they were living that worshiped God, was through meeting together in the temple, in homes. And while they were meeting together, what did they do? They broke bread. They took, they met, they ate meals together. But then they also took of the Lord's Supper. Because as we take communion, as we take part in the Lord's Supper, God reveals, illuminates, and demonstrates to us our own sinfulness and reminds us of his forgiveness of sins and the new covenant, which sparks in us then a worship, a love, uh, an affection towards our Lord. And so the Lord's Supper should lead us to worship as we take and remember his sacrifice how do our hearts not explode in worship? And so they had a lifestyle of worship where their lives were serving God and worshiping him through a sacrifice. But then there also was, in verse 47, praising. They were actually singing out loud. And I love worship. I love singing. We're going to kind of shift to the second vein here. I love worshiping. I love singing. I am terrible at singing. Josh, you actually had a pretty nice voice, dude. I didn't, I didn't know you, you could sing. I, I, I liked it. I, I am terrible at singing. I do not know how to play any type of instrument, yet I enjoy so much gathering together and singing or worshiping on my own. This last week, 
um, preparing for this message on worship and just thinking about wanting to glorify God and sing about his greatness, beauty, and worth. I probably spent more time worshiping than I did in preparing this message. Some of you are thinking, yeah, we can tell. Um, hey, that's not nice, though. Um, but I think that's how all prep should be, though, a lot more worshiping. And so as we sing and as we worship, there are a few things that happen that I want to highlight. One of those things is that as we sing, like verbally sing out loud, our affections for the Lord are stirred. We see that their hearts were joyful and sincere hearts. Their hearts were being shaped and encouraged through their praising. As they looked in awe and admiration, their hearts were filled with joy and gladness. For me, when I don't feel like reading my Bible, I turn on music and I sing. When I don't feel like praying, I turn on worship, worship music, what we would count worship music, and I sing. And sometimes that works, most of the time it works, but sometimes I'm like, man, I still don't want to sing. But Charles Spurgeon, who is a pastor, um, preacher, he said this. He said, sometimes if you begin to sing in a half-hearted mood, you can sing yourself up the ladder. Singing will often make the heart rise. And now we may be like, oh, I'm not a good singer. I don't want to sing out loud in church, all this kind of stuff. Everybody be singing at some point, whether it's in the shower, in the car, everybody be getting down. And so what Charles Spurgeon is saying, he's saying, hey, when you are down and when you're singing, continue to sing and watch your affections, watch your heart be encouraged more unto the Lord. Because as we sing, as we proclaim his goodness and not our own, our, our affections, our love is drawn towards the Lord. As we, as we sing, it increases our faith as we declare and sing out the praises and the truths of God. There are literal studies that talk about the positive effects even in singing of lowering stress and anxiety. And what they have found is when you sing out loud, not only is it good for your health, but specifically singing together corporately with other people, um, it does your health well. And so when we gather together, when we are singing out the praises of God, we are making much of him, we are, we are glorifying him, and it's increasing our faith, and we are glorifying him together. And so whether we have an acoustic or an electric, whether we have the cajon, I think that's what that's called, or cymbals, whether you're singing a cappella or not, whatever it is, as we sing, our hearts are stirred for the Lord, especially when we sing together. It's funny, I was just at a wedding last weekend, and there were people, it was a, it was a wedding from the well, uh, and so there was a bunch of people from the church there, and me and Tori are just sitting there because we do not, neither of us dance, and we're just kind of judging everybody else who is out there dancing, but we're like looking, and we're like, do you know who that is? I'm like, I've said like three words to that girl. I don't really know who she is. And she's like, every, Tori's like, every time I look at her, she doesn't even look at me. Like she looks away. But on the dance floor, surrounded by community, they got this little circle going and you get a bunch of girls together or white girls together or whatever. And they're singing, don't stop believing. And like moods change. Like something supernatural happens at a wedding when they are gathered together singing the face, the facial expressions, the dancing, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I have never heard you say more than five words to me. But when we gather together and when we sing, there's something 
that happens. And so singing praises stirs our affections for the Lord because we're singing songs unto the Lord and about him. And so their hearts were stirred. They began to have joyful and sincere hearts. Not only does singing, though, not only does singing uh, stir our affections for the Lord, but singing fuels evangelism. Verse 47 said, every day people were being added. As we worship, as we give a life of worship, as we sing, it, it will lead us to make his glory known among all people. John Piper, who is a pastor, he's retired now, has a famous quote. He said this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. Our purpose in life is not just to go and make disciples, but it is to glorify God. And in glorifying him, we do make disciples. And so that's what Piper is trying to say. He's saying, fall in love with the Lord. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. People who love Jesus are the best missionaries and evangelists there are because we're giving our lives in worship to him. Our life must overflow out of our love and relationship with God. Our zeal for the advancement of the God's kingdom on the earth must be rooted in our zeal for God. If we are not singing, if we are not worshiping, if we are not giving our lives for his glory, but we're giving our lives just to submission, we are missing the mark. And so when you guys are going out and doing all of these community things, you are doing it unto the Lord to glorify him. Think about all of the verses that talk about, tell us to declare his glory. It's about declaring his glory. It's about worshiping so that others may see. Psalm 96, 3, declare his glory among the nations. Isaiah 12, 4, make known his deeds am among the people. Romans 15, 9, God sends Jesus on his mission, it says, that in order that the Gentiles might glorify God. Matthew 5, we are told that let your good works be a light unto the world that they may that others may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven and so as we worship as we glorify god as we fall more in love with jesus the mission will continue to be fulfilled not only that but last one and we'll begin to kind of land the plane here but worshiping and singing unto the lord actually prepares us for eternity Revelation 22, verse 3 says this, And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will worship him. That's how we will end. We will worship him singing. We will worship him on the new heavens and on the new earth by living completely for him. And this is possible because of the gospel. We are able to sing now. We will be able to sing for all of eternity because Christ gave his life for us. Because we denied him, we chose sin, we chose creation over creator and chose to worship the things of this world over him. Christ came, gave his life for us to the point of death on a cross. And while he hung on that cross, he said, Father, Father, 
Why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. And so on that cross, he sung a song of lament so that you and I can for all of eternity sing about the glory of our Savior. And so now because of this, our Father sees us and he delights in us and that should lead us to worship him that much more. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he will delight in you with singing. And so we sing while we're here on this earth. We worship, we give our lives as a holy and pleasing sacrifice unto him because he delights in us now because of the person and work of Jesus. What is my purpose in life? Going back to the very beginning, what were we created for? You have your roles, you have tasks, you have callings, all of these things, but we were created to glorify our Savior. And we meet together, and we worship together, and we sing together. And as we sing together, and as we sing on our own, something happens in our soul. As we make much of him and make less of ourselves, Christ is glorified. And so in Acts chapter 2, they were doing all of these things. They were giving their lives as worship unto the Lord. They were singing, and they were worshiping, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. And as we right now, as I was thinking, even as they were up here doing announcements and Josh was talking, we were worshiping, I began to think about, Lord, I feel like, I, like I said earlier, I feel like I worship a lot of prep. And I feel like because that's what I want us to have a lot of time today to just worship and to sing to the Lord. There is power when God's people are gathered together to worship and to make much of him. And as we step into communion, and as we worship, those two go together. Mark chapter 14, verse 26, right after Jesus establishes communion, the Lord's Supper, it says that him and his disciples sung a hymn together. They sung. And so we follow Christ's example in singing and worshiping. And so... Would you join me in prayer? Would you join me in worship as we just make much of our God? As we sing, and maybe you're like, bro, I don't feel like singing. Start here and keep going, keep going, keep going. Father, we thank you. And we love you. God, I thank you that we, we get to meet together. Like sometimes this can feel like we have to go to church, but like we get to, we get to gather with one another. Help us to not take that lightly. I thank you that you created us to bring you glory, that there is nothing else on this earth that is deserving of the glory than you. God, that as things of this world try to appear great, they try to seem beautiful or worth it. God, I pray that we would not fall into the trap of worshiping creation over you. Help us to not neglect meeting together living in community with one another. 
breaking of bread, the the remembrance of the gospel. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of music and of song and of rhythm. I pray that as we worship, that you would stir our hearts and our affections towards you. God, that as we sing these songs over these next few moments, God, we may be tired, we may be weary, Lord, but you are worthy of our praise. I pray that in everything we do, we would seek to glorify you that that would be our end. And as we glorify you in everything that we do, we will see others drawn into your kingdom. Thank you for Christ. I thank you for his sacrifice. That because of him, we get to join you in all of eternity, during all of eternity, to worship you. You are worthy, you are glorious, and you are great. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.